All right, so tonight, welcome ladies, I'm glad you're here. So tonight we are talking about um, an interesting topic that some of you may or may not know much about, and it's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I wanted to show you one of my best books on this. It's a book, it's called The Presence and Work of the Holy Spirit, if you're interested. I have about 10 books on this, and I would say that this is the most comprehensive book I have. So if you want to know more information about the stuff that we're talking about, and R.A. Torrey, um, I think he died in 1928 or something like that, so he's, he's, an, he's been around for a long time. His teachings are amazing, and he's um, a Presbyterian minister, so he goes at it from a very gentle, lovely way without a whole lot of craziness going on. R.A. Torrey. Oh, you can take a picture. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love that book. I just, I constantly refer to it over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, I have other books too, but I can show you that later if you need to see that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to let you know is that, um, in studying this stuff, we are trying to touch on a lot of things in eight weeks, but if you want to know more, be that person, be that person that digs and grab books and get online and go to conferences and learn more. I can, I can show you some things, but we're not, this is not a super comprehensive study of the Holy Spirit in eight weeks. There's a lot, we can go a lot deeper in each of the nights that we do, but we only have so much time. So if you want to know more, study for yourself and find out more. There's lots of ways to do it. So tonight, I want to start in Luke 24. Um, in week two, we established that um, Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit right after John baptized him in the Jordan River. And then, and after then, he began his public ministry with signs and wonders and healing and so forth. So let's all start in Luke 24. And I'm going to start, um, let me give you the context first. Jesus is appearing to his disciples after his resurrection, um, and they are quite surprised to see him, and he has more to say to them. And this is where we're going to pick up that conversation right there. So let's start in verse 44. And I'm going to go all the way to the end. So 44, Jesus says to his disciples, This is what I told you when I was still with you. Everything which is written concerning me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he thoroughly opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Jesus the Messiah should suffer and on the third day rise again from the dead. And that repentance with a view to forgiveness of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And you all are eyewitnesses of these things. And behold, I will send forth upon you what my Father has promised, but you remain in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he conducted them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he invoked a blessing on them. And it occurred that while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was taken into heaven. And they worshipped him and, and went back to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, celebrating with praises and blessing and extolling God. Amen. So be it. So that's Luke 24. They are to wait before they go. That's the big thing. They are to wait before they go. So today, we're in Luke 24, 
but the rest of the morning now we're going to be in Acts because Acts is a book that demonstrates to us how the church is to operate and bring the kingdom of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think I said this before, but Acts, Acts is really Luke 2. So it's Luke, and he's the same author and everything. So we are now in Luke 2 or Acts 1. So now let's shift over to Acts. And we're going to be in chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. In the former account, O Theophilus, I made a continuous report dealing with all the things which Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he ascended and after through the Holy Spirit had instructed and commanded the apostles whom he had chosen. And to them he also showed himself alive after his resurrection by many convincing demonstrations, appearing to them for 40 days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. And while being in their company and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, You have heard me speak. For John baptized with water, but not many days from now you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to shift over to verses 8 and 9. And you shall receive power and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Now shift down to verse 13 and 14, and then we're going to chat about all that for a second. And when they had entered the city, they mounted the stairs to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And all of these, with their minds full in full agreement, devoted themselves steadfastly to prayer. And the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus with his brothers were also there. So they did what Jesus told them to do, because they thought they were going to start the church, and he said, no, you need to wait. I have something more for you. And so they have been in prayer this whole time. So let's see. This would be the Feast of Pentecost, and Jesus rose from the dead, and that 50 is what Pentecost means. So this is 50 days after Jesus has risen. It's the Feast of Pentecost is when it starts. And during that time, he was repeatedly appearing to them, giving them more and more instructions on how to leave the church. All right, so now turn to Acts 2. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Acts 2. And we're going to start in verse 1. And this is the account of the experience of the actual baptism of the Holy Spirit right here. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all assembled together in one place. And when suddenly there came a sound from heaven, like the rushing of a violent tempest blast, and it filled the whole house in which they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues resembling fire, which were separated and distributed, and which settled on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other di different foreign languages and tongues, as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression. And there were those residing in Jerusalem, Jews, devout and God-fearing men from every country under heaven. And when this sound was heard, the multitude came together, and they were astonished and bewildered, because each one heard the apostles speaking in his own particular dialect. 
and they were beside themselves with amazement and wondered, Are not all these talking to us Galileans? This is how it is that we hear each one of us in our own particular dialect to which we were born. And then jump over to verse 14 through 18. But Peter, um, now he's giving him, he's explaining to the crowds what's happening. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raises up his voice and addressed them. You Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be explained to you so that you will know and understand. Listen closely to what I have to say. For these men are not drunk as you imagine, for it is only the third hour, about nine o'clock in the morning. But instead, this is the beginning of what was spoken to the prophet Joel. And now he quotes Joel in 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last days. God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, and on my maidservants and on my manservants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and tell forth divine counsels and predict future events pertaining especially to God's kingdom. That is awesome. So the next several verses are, are we're going to talk about Peter in a little bit, but the next several verses are Peter giving this big, long, bold dissertation to the public, standing up and boldly teaching the crowd at the Feast on Pentecost. And he prophesies and gives scriptures concerning all about Jesus and the crucifixion. Because a lot of these people in that crowd did not know what had happened to Jesus. They did not know what this was all about. So he had to go back to the scriptures, back to the prophecies, and he gives this huge oral dissertation off the top of his head through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right. So now let's we're going to still be in Acts 2. Acts 2 is long. Flip over to verses 36 through 43. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel recognize beyond all doubt, this is Peter still speaking, and acknowledge assuredly that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and the Christ, this Jesus whom you have crucified. And now when they heard this, they were stung in the heart, to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answered them and said, Repent. Change your mind and accept the will of God in your inner selves and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of and release from your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise. There's that word again. The promise of the Holy Spirit is to and for you and your children and to and for all that are living far away, even for as many as the Lord our God invites and bids to come to himself. Let's see. Yeah, I'll go a little bit. And then 41 says, there were 3,000 souls added just that day. And they steadfastly persevered in devoting themselves constantly to instruction and fellowship of the apostles, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And a sense of awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were performed through the apostles and all who believed trusted in the Lord Jesus. So here we observe in this long thing that I just read that Peter 
that power and signs and wonders are coming from Peter and the disciples who are very different people than they were 50 days ago. Very different people. Do we remember all the silly things we read about Peter? Yeah. And and John and the Sons of Thunder as well, how they were very immature and not not people that we would choose to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And now look at these people. They're completely transformed, and it's because of the Holy Spirit. So um, in John chapter, I think it's 20 and 21, we see Peter, um, after denying Christ three times, we see Peter just deciding he's going to go back to fishing. He's done. And he's pretty sure that he's done the ultimate sin by denying Christ, right, for three times. And so he's not going to be a disciple. He just is said, thing. I'm sure Jesus won't choose me now. And then Jesus shows up on the shore in John 22, and he reinstates Peter. He says, do you love me, Peter, three times to make up for the three times that he denied him? And he says, Lord, you know I do. And he says, then go and strengthen my, your brothers and sisters. So Peter just got reinstated back as an apostle, which he needed to hear from Jesus. And now look at Peter. This is the man who denied knowing Jesus when he was asked three times. Transformed life. Boldness, boldness, boldness. So we see a lot of these things throughout this with the, with the disciples. And we're going to look at some more. Um, I think the, one of the things that I want you to see as I read each one of these things is that there are always outward signs to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's always fruit. There's always a result and big outward signs following that. This is not, we're going to talk about another thing next week. This is not the inner workings of the Holy Spirit where you're growing maturity. This is the outward upon power of the Holy Spirit. And you'll see this more and more as I keep going. All right, so uh, Acts 8. Let's turn there. Acts 8. And I'm going to start with 5 through 8. So Philip... And this was not one of the disciples. He was a deacon, went down to the city of Samaria and preached the Christ, the Messiah to all the people and great crowds of people with one accord listened to and heeded what was said by Philip. And they heard him and watched the miracles and wonders and signs, which he kept performing from time to time. For foul spirits came out of many who were possessed by them, screaming and shouting, and many who were suffering from palsy or who were crippled and lame were restored to health, and there was great joy in that city. Now jump over to 14 through 17. Now when the apostles, the special members, uh, messengers at Jerusalem, heard that the country of Samaria had accepted and welcomed the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them to investigate. And they came down and prayed for them that the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them, but they had only been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the apostles laid their hands on them one by one, and they received the Holy Spirit with fire. So we observe a couple things here. So let's talk about what we observe about what I just read. We observe here that the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this particular instance is a separate and distinct thing 
in addition to the inner, inner regenerating work. It's separate from receiving Christ. And we're going to show you some more verses that aren't like that. So I want you to see a pattern here. So these people received Christ, salvation in Christ, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit later when someone laid hands on them. Are we following me so far? Okay, let's keep going. Now, let's see. Where do I want to go here? Uh, okay, let's go to 10, Acts 10. Acts 10, and I'm going to start in verse 4. Now, so that I don't have to read you a Brazilian scriptures all in a row, I'm going to give you the context of what happens. So the context in this is, um, this is a story of Peter and Cornelius having, uh, they both had a dream. Cornelius had a dream about, about getting Peter to come to him, and Peter had a dream that Cornelius was going to call on him. And so that all happens together, which is just wonderful with, by the power of the Spirit. And so Peter goes down to the house of Cornelius in response to a dream from God to teach the gospel to the whole household because they were God-fearing people, but they didn't have salvation in Christ and didn't even know about Christ yet. So this is where we're going to pick this story up. So 10, uh, verse 4, we'll see how far I get, 43. We're going to start in 43. Um, this is the tail end of Peter's um, preaching to Cornelius. And he says to Jesus, all the prophets testify that everyone who believes in Jesus, believing on him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. And, and the believers who came with Peter were surprised and amazed because the free gift of the Holy Spirit had now been bestowed and poured out largely on the Gentiles. For they heard them talking in tongues, extolling and magnifying God. And Peter said, Can anyone forbid or refuse water for baptizing these people, seeing that they have received the Holy Spirit as we have? And so he ordered that they all be baptized in the name of Jesus, that they, and they begged him to stay on for some days. So here we observe that they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and salvation all at the same time, different from the verse we just read before that. And then they did it all backwards. Then they baptized him in water. Now, in very legalistic churches, you would have to say, oh, no, you have to do this, this, that, that, that. This step one, step two, step three. But we see clearly in several passages that things were not done exactly the same all the time. Hence, no formulas. And I love that God did this because we would be looking to that formula, would we not? And trying to do every jot and tittle just perfectly, which is not what God is after. He's after the heart motives instead. So let's keep reading. So I want you to notice. So now we've seen two different ways people can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. All right. But clear, but again, clear and outward signs of receiving. So now let's shift several things over. We're going to do 19. We're still in Acts. Chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, 
Paul went through the upper inland districts and came down to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. And he asked of them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed on Jesus the Christ? And they said, Nope, we've never even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, In what baptism were you baptized? And they said, Well, into John's baptism. And Paul um, said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, continually telling the people what that they should believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus, the Messiah. And on hearing this, they were baptized again this time into the name of the Lord Jesus. And as Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them afterwards, and they spoke in tongues and languages and prophesied, and there were about 12 of them in all. So here we observe another separate laying out of hands to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But again, with signs and wonders and results and fruit. It was obvious that something had occurred as a result. Okay. In other parts of Acts, we read that the apostles were filled with other occasions, uh, the result being greater and greater power and for witnessing with Christ. So they got their initial baptism in the Holy Spirit, but then they were also refilled continually as the work was needed to re be refilled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So repeated fillings are, are important. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a fuller discussion of this when we study the gifts of the Spirit, but that's a couple of weeks out yet. Um, and remembering that this baptism on is for the gifts of the Spirit for ministry. The gifts of the Spirit are not for you, and they're not for me. They're for others meaning it's not for your spiritual growth necessarily. The gifts of the Spirit are to minister to others and to show others, people, God's love, his mercy, his kindness. When someone gets them a word of prophecy, the first thing they do is say, oh, my word, how did you know that? And, of course, you say, I don't know. I don't have any idea how I know that. God told me that. But God didn't tell me that for me. He told me that for you, so that you would be seen and known and cared for by the Lord. So the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for others. Next week, we're going to talk about this interior work of the Holy Spirit, which is equally just as important. That one is for you, because that's how we get grown up in the Holy Spirit, and that's how we grow in maturity. Does that make sense? So so we'll, we'll touch base more on this baptism as, as we discuss gifts. And it will be really clear. There will be more and more clarity as we go on. Um, let's see. Really, the whole the whole basis, I would say, for the gifts of the Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is being useful to others. And, and it's a way that we bring the kingdom of God in our midst, in our cultures, in our communities, in our, in our meetings, in our churches. All right, so now let's shift over to, we're going to go back to Acts 4, backtrack just a little bit, because I want to show you another verse that talks about this repeated filling again. Um, so they got into a little tiff with the, with the um, temple people, and that's what this story is about. While Peter and John were talking to the people, the high priest and the military commander of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. 
and being vexed and indignant because they were teaching the people about Jesus, they laid hands on them and put them in prison until the following day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and their number grew and came to about 5,000 people. Then on the following day, their magistrates and elders and scribes were assembled in Jerusalem, including Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all the others who belonged to the high priestly relationship. And they set the men in their midst and repeatedly demanded, by what sort of power or by what kind of authority are you doing this healing? And then Peter, because he was filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and members of the council of the Sanhedrin, um, if we are being put on trial here and examined concerning the good deed we have done, let it be known and understand by all of you that the whole house of Israel in the name and the power of authority of Jesus Christ, whom you have crucified, and, and he has now been raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone which was despised and rejected by you but which has become the head cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else except him. And now when they saw the boldness and eloquence of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and untrained and had not been to school, they marveled and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now let's see what they do after this. Shift over to verse 29. So Peter and John had been through all this, and 29 to 31 says this, and now they pray all together. So they all gathered together because they've been ordered to stop teaching, and of course they're not going to stop, but they've been ordered to stop. And this is their prayer that they pray. And now, Lord, observe their threats and grant to your bondservants full freedom to declare your message fearlessly while you stretch out your hand to cure and to perform signs and wonders through the authority and by the power of the name of your holy child and servant Jesus. And listen to verse 31. This happens again to them. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with freedom and boldness and courage. So this is pretty incredible. They got filled with the Holy Spirit again because now they were going to need new boldness to preach in the face of threats. So let's recap a bit. In Acts 1, in Acts 1, the disciples whom Jesus had spent three years with were now to take over the ministry of the gospel. And But Jesus says in Luke 24, but you're not ready. You need to wait from power from on high from me. You are not ready. And so he says in that verse, tarry until you are endued with power, power, dunamis power from on high. And the word tarry really means sit ye down. <laughs> I would say sit your butt down. That's what I would say. They were not ready, and so he said, sit down and wait, and you'll know when the time has come. It'll be obvious. Dunamis, if we look that up in the Greek, that is power. Dunamis power is power for performing miracles in strength, ability, and might. It also means moral power and excellence. So it's a very powerful word. Um, let's read one more scripture here. Well, maybe not one more, but we're getting close. Uh, Acts 2, 
38 and 39. I want to, re I think I read this already, but I want to go over it one more time as to what the real promise is. 38 and 39. And Peter answered them, repent and change your mind and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness and release of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and for you and your children, and to and for all that are far away, to and for as many as the Lord our God invites and bids to come to himself. So we read again, and we talked about this last week, the Holy Spirit is the promise. Jesus keeps promising us that. And in, we looked at that last week in John 14, 15, and 16 about all the teachings and all the stuff that Jesus told his disciples. So we do need fresh filling all the time of the Holy Spirit. But I want to just paint this picture for you for precise biblical teaching. The Bible teaches one baptism and then many fillings after that. So, and it doesn't, the wording doesn't matter, but I just want you to know there's one baptism of the Holy Spirit and many fillings after that to keep us going in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to be re-baptized, but you sure can. Doesn't matter, and I don't think God cares the wording that you use, whether it's baptized or, but, but I just want you to know that the baptism is the Spirit upon us instead of within us. Because next week we're going to talk about the Spirit filling us within for different reasons. Okay, I just shot you with a fire hose. Can you explain that a little bit more, the difference between upon and within? Yeah, the Spirit came upon them. He literally came upon them on top of their bodies. Okay. Upon them for giftedness and service. So now they are equipped and empowered to do things they weren't able to do before. For instance, prophesy, do healings, miracles, give people words of knowledge, speak in tongues, um, the whole gifts of the Spirit, all those which we will talk about in further. And when we do in a couple weeks, it'll be super clear. Whereas the inner regenerating work of the Holy Spirit would be helping us to grow in godliness and holiness, maturity, that sort of thing. And the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I hit them all. Yeah, yes. Nine of those. So that is the inner work of the Holy Spirit, and we need both. It's both are important. But the upon is for giftedness, for a ministry, for a ministry, whereas the inner work is for you and God and for your relationship. So would upon be more like head and within more heart? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just on you. It's just on you. Like, like for instance, Peter, um, you know, he, he had this personality that was wild. That Holy Spirit got a hold of him, and he went, without, went with boldness and wisdom and discernment. And so that changed his, his demeanor. So it transformed his life. And so a pawn will transform your life. In will also. It transforms you in another direction. And they're both important. Because ministry, when you're doing ministry, people need to see a demonstration of the power of God. More people, and like I said, it's, it's for others, and especially, I mean, it's for the body of Christ too, but when a non-believer sees the power of God, 
and gets healed from something, they are undone. And they know that they have had a major visitation from Jesus Christ. <laughs> they know that. And that, that's why it's so important that we don't say, well, I don't know if I want that. That's important for ministry. And that's how the early church got started. And we are to follow their example. Other comments, questions? It'll start to be, we've got four more weeks left. We're going to talk about lots of different things, but we're going to keep adding to that. Are you going to talk about why there's a theory of the cessation of the yep. gift of the Holy Spirit in yep. the week? Yep, yep, yep. And I'll talk about a couple things that sort of allude to that now. But yeah, when we get to the gifts of the Spirit, there's a whole verse in there that people latch on to um, that's really not accurate. So I, I'm definitely going to do that for sure, for sure. Let me see how far off my notes I am. Uh, oh, just want to say again, when you have the Holy Spirit upon, there are always outward signs. Fruit of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's tongues. Sometimes it's prophecy. Boldness. It's definitely, as you read, every one of these accounts, he had increased joy, increased hope, increased faith, and increased peace. Every single time with a different manifestation of the gift. And sometimes hands were laid on to receive the gift, and sometimes not. So I really want you to see that there's not a formula, because some people will teach you that there is a formula. And we just read a bunch of verses, and not exhaustive ones, there's not a formula. God does this for you, because he wants you to be empowered. He wants you to be able to bring his kingdom. That's his whole point. So I want to give you like seven little steps to, to the baptism. And they're not steps as much as things that you need to make sure are true for you. So first thing would be you need to receive Jesus as your Savior. And some of these are going to be like, well, duh. But, you know, I have to teach this comprehensively. So the first step would be receive Jesus as your Savior. And the second one would be confess and repent of sins. And some people are like, well, why do I have to make sure I do that every time? And I like to remind you, Holy Spirit's called Holy Spirit. He doesn't like to mix with sin because he's holy. So we always want to keep short accounts with him and confess and repent of sins. Third step would be publicly, publicly confess your faith in Christ. Now, most of you have been baptized or you've at least publicly confessed your faith in other ways. But make sure that people around you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are unable to publicly say that in front of anybody, God's not going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit so you can go out in power. You won't even admit that you know Jesus. So, you know what I mean? So, make sure that you are able to publicly confess that you know Jesus Christ. All right, so that would be step three. So, and this another one, step four, we surrender the, to the Lord your life. Surrender your life to the Lord. And some people would say, well, what do you mean by that? And that, what I mean by that is hold your hands like this, wide open, saying, Lord, whatever, you are Lord of my life. There are some people who have received Christ as fire insurance to get to heaven, but they haven't done much past that, right? And they would not be able to say, Jesus is my Lord and Master. 
because they really are their own lord and master. They do whatever they want and whatever they please. So if you want the Holy Spirit, we want to be pure, coming with pure motives here. So make sure the Lord of your life is Jesus Christ. Number five, and this is the biggest one, because you probably all have one through four. Earnestly desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God wants you to earnestly desire it, and when you do, he will give it to you. And the sixth one is ask definitely. Again and again and again. Ask, ask, ask. Remember that verse that we talked about last week, Luke 11, 13. How much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And keep on asking and keep on asking and keep on asking. And number seven and I did tell you we were out of scriptures, but I'm going to give you one more, is accept the promise by faith. And I'm going to give you a verse for that that's going to prove to you that you can do that. Accept the promise by faith. So shift with me or just listen, whichever you prefer. I'm going to go to 1 John 5. This is without a doubt one of my favorite verses ever. 1 John 5. Uh, 14 and 15. And this is the confidence, the assurance, the privilege of boldness, which we have in Jesus, that if we ask anything according to his will, in agreement with his plans, he listens to us and hears us. And if since we positively know that he listens to us in whatever we ask, we also know that we have been granted as our present possession the requests we made of him. So this basically says, if we ask anything according to his will, he will grant it to us. Now, what is his will? Well, it's got to be specified in the word. You can't just say, I want a million dollars tomorrow and say that's his will. No, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit we've just talked about is in the word. So we can ask for that again and again and receive, knowing that we have confidence because he cares about us and he will give us what his will says he will give us. So that verse is a go-to verse for lots of things that are in the word that you can claim. Um, I wanted to read, let's see, one cute, one fun little excerpt from this other book that I like so much. So he's saying how we can kind of get acclimated to this, um, this idea of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying there are things you can do. Study, study, study. Read, read, read. Go to conferences. Or even better, this man says, take the risk. Swallow hard and just go to some Pentecostal miracle service. <laughs> Vineyard fellowship or someplace you hear that the Holy Spirit is moving. And let firsthand experience stretch your worldview and expand your expectations of what God will do and what God can do. Seek out those you trust who've had such experiences and find out more. Putting yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit is moving in power is often the first step in increasing your faith. Pray that all this will nurture in you an attitude of, of abandonment to God and to the vastness of who he is and all that he does. This 
have an expectancy that God will do what you ask him to do. So I liked that. I wanted to read that to you. So let's summarize just for a second, and then I'll let you go to your groups. There are some different views that you may have you may have heard taught or you might hear taught. The first one is the people will teach that you get everything the Holy Spirit has to offer you at salvation. And that's true. You will hear that. We do get the Holy Spirit. We know we get the Holy Spirit. But the baptism is that something more upon. And so the Bible, as what we read tonight, the Bible did not teach that, did it? It did not teach that. So we have to be careful when we're listening to teachings. We've got to know what the Word says. Because the Bible didn't tell us, did we, tonight, that you get the baptism every time. Sometimes it's later. So we can't receive that teaching. And the second one is, is that you must receive the gift of tongues every time you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't teach that either. It says tongues is lots of times a, a manifestation of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit but not every time. It also said there was boldness, there was preaching, there was teaching, and there was prophesying, and so on, and so on, and so on, and healings, and so on. So there's lots of gifts. God, let the Holy Spirit do what he wants. Don't put him in a box and say, I will only receive this way. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. Hold yourself like this and say, whatever you want me to have, I will receive. That's so important. Um, there are no cookie-cutter Holy Spirit experiences. Um, and don't, don't listen to teaching that tries to put you in a box or teaching like that in a box, because sometimes teachers who come from a certain church or, or denomination will teach what they know, will teach what their experience is. That, that's a great experience, but that doesn't mean that's all there is, or that's the way that has to be, because God has diverse ways of doing things. Amen? So... Just be careful what you listen to. Make sure you go back to the Bible. Check what it says. Always, always our plumb line. Always. So, so for those of us, me included, who've not grown up in churches where the Holy Spirit baptism has been taught and demonstrated, we can find this challenging. I know, I know you're probably thinking, holy cow, I did not know this. Um, and understandably, we get timid about this. But we have to know that we're made for more and, and, and have the faith that if God wants to have, give me more, then I'm going to go for more. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize I got 50% of what God had for me to have. I want all that he has for me to have. And I just talked about that. Lots of people will talk about the experience they have, but that doesn't mean that's all the teaching there is on that. This is a good re reason to know the word for yourself. Oh, this is another point that I wanted to bring up too. The Holy Spirit upon us in baptism is directly connected to our assignments that God will bring us. And it corresponds to our assignments. Because the assignments God gives you, you've got to have his empowering spirit. That's important. We can't do our assignments in our own strength and our own power. We just simply can't. We can try, and we're not going to do very well because we need his dunamis power on us. Mm -hmm. So our assignments are directly linked to the gifts you get and the power upon you. And you'll see that as we do the gifts in a couple of weeks. So that's the teaching of the Holy Spirit baptism. Um, 
motivation is everything for God. Um, I talked a little bit about this last week, but when I wanted to go for this and get baptized in the Holy Spirit, I prayed for it a long time. And, but my motives weren't super pure. I, I had some unforgiveness and some unrepentance, and I was offended a little bit at some people who received the gift, and I thought I was just a little bit better than they were. And I'm ashamed to tell you that, but that's the real truth. And God had to deal with my heart and make sure that he was Lord of my life before he was going to give me this great gift. So I had to get a couple of those seven steps that I talked to you about in order before he would give that gift to me. And I did, and I did receive it, and it was a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I didn't have these huge, big manifestations, but what I did have is the most incredible feeling of love and peace and joy that left, that were like on me, literally on me. I could feel like something was on me, like a scarf or a, a, a wrap or something that was very light and it was on me for several days. And I was so disappointed when it left, when it lifted. And the Holy Spirit didn't go anywhere. It's just that that feeling and manifestation just eventually dissipates. Um, but it was a lovely experience. And then the stuff that God moved me into after that was like, holy Toledo, you've got to be kidding. Because I, and I was totally not gifted for any of that on my own. But with the power of the Holy Spirit, I was. But if he had told me beforehand what I was going to be doing, I would have said, oh, you must have me mixed up with somebody else. I am not doing that, that, or that. <laughs> and so this is what the Holy Spirit is for. It's for ministry. Yeah. So a couple comments, a couple questions before we break out. <laughs>